Book 4, Chapter 1, Part 4 of The History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume 2, by Henry Charles Lee. Book 4, Organization. Chapter 1, Part 4. The Inquisitor General and Supreme Council. The Suprema called without stint on the tribunals to meet its expenses, and its fluctuating sources of supply are indicated in its varying demands for a few ducats for some special payment to large sums from some tribunal which had made a fortunate raid on wealthy heretics, as when, being in Valladolid in 1549, it demanded two thousand ducats from that tribunal for its payroll. It seems to have made an attempt to levy a settled contribution on Saragossa, which, in 1539, it ordered to furnish the money for its salaries. But the enforcement of this seems to have been difficult, for, from 1540 to 1546, we find it paying its receiver-general Loases 15,000 maravedis a year for making the collection. After an interval of ten years, in 1557, it demanded of Saragossa 10,000 sueldos, or 400 ducats, a year, toward its payroll. But again there was trouble, for although the order was issued in April, the inquisitors in October were reminded of it, with the significant hint that, unless the money were forthcoming, their salaries would be cut off. In 1559, a papal grant of 100,000 ducats on the ecclesiastical revenues of Spain kept in its funds for a while, and when the tribunals of the colonies were fairly in operation, they contributed largely. But in the 18th century, we still find it drawing upon the tribunals, although it had accumulated a considerable invested capital, yielding a handsome income. While thus caring for itself, it also looked after the tribunals which were less fortunate than their fellows, treating the profits of all as a common fund to be distributed at its discretion. These transfers were incessant, as examples of them may be cited an order, in 1562 to Valladolid, to pay 1,000 ducats to Barcelona, which was deeply in debt, and in 1565, Murcia was called upon to give it 400,000 maravedis for its salaries. Murcia, at this time, seems to have struck a rich vein of confiscations, for in 1567 it was required to contribute 1,500 ducats for the salaries of Valencia. Barcelona continued in trouble. There were few heretics there, and its chief business was quarreling with the people, which was not productive financially. So, in 1579, Yarena was required to give it 500 ducats towards its payroll, and in 1586, Saville, Murcia, and Yarena were ordered to furnish 500 ducats each for the same purpose. The expulsion of the Moriscos, in 1609-1610, brought Valencia to destitution, and in 1612, Granada and Seville were obliged to lend it 1,000 ducats apiece. In 
This system remained in force until the last. Under the restoration, the holy office was seriously cramped for funds, as we shall see, and its financial troubles were frequent. In 1816, Majorca was required to furnish over 400,000 reales to Lagroño, and Lagroño was called upon to supply the same sum to the Suprema. It was not prompt in meeting this demand, but paid 15,000. In March 1817, the Suprema notified it that the balance would be drawn for. On this, a partial payment seems to have been made, leaving 12,000 for which, in 1818, the receiver-general of the Suprema drew. But his draft came back dishonored. This aroused the wrath of the council, which wrote, July 3rd, expressing its surprise. If the tribunal had no funds in hand, it should have gone out and borrowed them. It must do so now, and not let such a thing occur again. A necessary feature of this financial control was the centralization of the Suprema of its auditing of the accounts of all the tribunals. Their receivers or treasurers were supposed to send, at regular intervals, itemized statements with vouchers of all receipts and expenditures, which were audited by the Contador General, or Auditor, of the Council. The efficiency of this system was marred by habitual vices of maladministration, and the hesitation to punish offenders, of which a petition of this historian, Jeronimo Zurita, affords us a glimpse. In 1538, he was made secretary, or Escribano de Camara, of the Suprema. In 1548, Inquisitor General Valdez gave this place to Juan de Valdez, presumably a kinsman, and Zurita was transferred to the Contaduria General for Aragon. In a petition presented May 2, 1560, he represents that he has served the Contador for twelve years at a salary less than that of his predecessor, and with more work. There were the accounts of the Tribunal of Sicily, which had not been rendered for twenty years, and it was notorious that the accounts of the receivers had been very confused or embarrassing, all of which he had straightened out with the utmost care, rejecting, for the service of the holy office, opportunities affording him better prospects, and now the only reward he asks is that his son, Miguel Zurita, a youth of eighteen, may be adjoined to him as an assistant a moderate prayer which was granted. That Zurita was a laborious and conscientious auditor, it would be impossible to doubt, but the frequency of defalcations, as we shall see hereafter, would indicate that such officials were not universal, and that the precautions of the system were negligently enforced. That the Suprema should exact all that it could from the tribunals was a necessity, for its payroll grew, partly as the result of its increased functions in the centralizing process, and partly in accordance with the inevitable law of an office-holding class to multiply. As the business and profits of the Inquisition decreased, its officials consequently grew more numerous and costly. After the death of Ferdinand in 1516, 
when Aguirre and Calcena were dismissed, there were for some years only three members, a fiscal, a secretary, an alguizal, a relator, to report on cases sent up on appeal, a contador and receiver-general, two physicians, a messenger and a portero, twelve in all, with a payroll, including the ayuda de costa, of one million ninety thousand maravedis, or a little less than three thousand ducats. In the seventeenth century all this had changed. Various gratifications had become habitual additions to the salaries proper in lieu of the old ayuda de costa. Thus, there were three larger propinas or purbores a year on the days of San Isidro, May 15th, San Juan, June 24th, and Santa Ana, July 26th, and five smaller ones called Manueles on certain other feasts. There were also luminarias or reimbursement for the cost of the frequent illuminations publicly ordered, which seemed to have been averaged into a fixed sum, and at times there was an allowance for the autos of Corpus Christi, or plays represented before the council on Corpus Christi Day, while the toros, or bullfights, which were celebrated on the days of the three chief propinas, sometimes replaced the latter. There were other smaller perquisites, such as wax and sugar, the latter a distribution, on each of the feasts of Corpus Christi and San Pedro Martyr, of an arroba, twenty-five pounds, of sugar to the inquisitor-general, half an arroba to the members, and a quarter to the subordinates, making in all nine arrobas. In 1657 we learn that sugar was worth 161 reales per arroba, making an annual outlay for this purpose of 2,900 reales. A larger gratuity was that of houses. The Suprema owned a number and allowed them to be occupied by its officials, while those who were not thus housed received a cash equivalent. Thus, in various ways, the nominal salaries were largely supplemented, and, whatever were the necessities of the state, the council took care that its members and officials should be abundantly supplied. When, in 1629, there was some talk of reforming the Suprema, Philip IV called upon Castaneda, the contador-general, for a detailed statement on the salaries, propinas, bullfights, and illuminations, with their aggregate for each person connected with it, from the inquisitor-general down to the lowest employee, and the same information was required as to the tribunals. As usual, the Suprema equivocated and concealed. All that it saw fit to reply was that the salary of a member was 500,000 maravedis, of a consejero de la tarde, 166,666, of the royal secretary and receiver-general, 200,000 each. We happen to have a detailed statement of the personnel and emolument of the Suprema at this period, which furnishes the information thus withheld from the king. It shows that the salary of the inquisitor-general was 1,100,000 maravedis, 
and the extras, 352,920, or in all, 1,452,920. Each of the full members received one half of this, while the consejeros de la tarde had one third of the salary of a full member, one half of his propina, and no luminaries. The whole number on the payroll was thirty six. The aggregate of their salaries was seven million one hundred fifty two thousand five hundred thirty nine maravedis, and of the extras, two million eight hundred ninety one thousand eighty eight, or in all, ten million forty three thousand six hundred twenty seven, equivalent to the two hundred ninety five thousand four hundred reales, or twenty six thousand eight hundred fifty five ducats being about tenfold the cost of a century earlier. Of course, the purchasing power of money had fallen greatly during the interval, but this does not wholly explain the latter extravagance. It is observable, moreover, that, in the case of the minor subordinates, where the salaries were low, the extras amount to twice as much as the regular pay, and also that, as yet, there were but three propinas a year, and these and the luminaries were the only extras. A statement of a few years earlier, probably 1635, may be summarized thus. Salaries, 7,644,500 maravedis. Propinas, 2,382,900. Luminarias, one million two hundred thirty two thousand eight hundred seventy five allowances to officials for houses estimated eight hundred thousand expenses repairs to houses estimated eight hundred ninety thousand expenses postage couriers secret service estimated four hundred thousand total thirteen million three hundred fifty thousand two hundred seventy five in this for the first time appears the name of the king as a recipient of the propinas and luminarias with an allowance double that of the inquisitor-general but though he figured in the estimates he was not paid so carefully were these extras observed that when in sixteen seventy nine and sixteen eighty the fiestas de toros or bullfights on the feasts of san isidro and santa ana were omitted, and in 1680 the autos sacramentales of Corpus Christi. The Suprema indemnified itself in 1680 by distributing 687,276 maravedis, from which we learn that the perquisites of a bullfight amounted to 137,275, and of an exhibition of autos to 144,976. The terrible condition of the debased currency, known as Veillon, at a discount from plata, or silver, ranging from 25 to 50 percent, gave further opportunities for quietly increasing salaries. As a rule, public officials had to take their salaries in the depreciated Veillon, the government was obliged to accept it for taxes and to pay it out at its face value. The Suprema, however, computed its salaries in silver and paid in Veillon 
with the discount added. In 1680, the members made a special grant to themselves, for they ordered the salaries to be paid one half in silver and the other half in veillon, with a hundred percent added, thus in effect doubling their salaries. How often this liberality was repeated, it would be impossible now to say. It was not a settled matter, for the receipts in 1681 show a return to the usual practice of payment in Veillon with 50% added. Another device by which the depreciation in Veillon was made a pretext for augmenting salaries is shown by the receipts for 1670. Payments were made every three months in advance, the first tercio, on January 1st, and the second on May 1st, were made in Veillon with the customary addition of 50%. Then, on September 1st, this augmented sum was taken as a basis and 66 two-thirds percent added, bringing the payment to two and a half times the legitimate amount. The Suprema was not particular as to other devices for increasing its emoluments. In 1659, the birth of the Infante Fernando Tomas served as an excuse for two extra propinas and for five luminarias. In 1690, when it probably was in funds from the confiscations in Majorca, under the transparent pretext of replacing various articles of which it had availed itself, it voted to its members and chief officers 14,160 reales in silver, and to the subordinates, 8,555 in Veillon. It was also profuse in gratuities to its employees, as when, in 1670, it voted to Doña Juana de Fita y Ribera, evidently the daughter or niece of its secretary, Joseph de Ribera, the handsome pension of 400 ducats to enable her to marry. In spite of its perpetual complaints of poverty, it evidently was not an inexpensive department of the government. The Suprema was none the less liberal in providing for the amusement and gratification of its members, in ghastly contrast with the sources from which the funds were drawn, the confiscations that ruined thousands of industrious and happy families. In fact, it gives us a new conception of the grim tribunal, which held in its hand the life and honor of every Spaniard, and had as its motto, Ex surge domine et vindica causam tuam, to note its careful provision for comfort and enjoyment on festal occasions. We happen to have the details of the cost of the autos sacramentales performed before the council on the Corpus Christi feast of 1659, amounting to 2,040 reales veillon and 1,168 of silver. The fiestas de toros, or bullfights, cost nothing for the performers, but were attended with elaborate and somewhat expensive preparations for the enjoyment and refreshment of the members and officials. As there were three or four of these a year, the amusement was costly, but the Suprema did not grudge expense when its own gratification was concerned. 
as affording an insight into this unexpected aspect of the holy office, I give below the items of expenditure of the Toros of June 5, 1690, amounting to 2,067 reales seven maravides, to which is to be added, as the exhibition was given at the palace of Buen Retiro, the sum of 4,400 reales, paid to the treasurer of the palace for the use of the balconies occupied by the council and its servants. This is a single example of the constant outlay on occasions where the Suprema defrayed the expenses of its members and attendants. They were by no means confined to the toros and autos. In this same year, 1690, the Suprema paid 3,300 reales for balconies on the Calle Mayor, from which to see the new queen, Maria Ana of Nuremberg, when she entered Madrid. In addition to the salaries and extra emoluments, the officials of the Suprema had a fertile source of income from the fees which they were entitled to charge. Every act or certificate or paper made out was paid for by the party applying for it, in the multitudinous business flowing in to the council, from applicants for favors. Examinations into limpieza, or purity of blood, or in the perpetual litigation subject to its extensive jurisdiction. From the fiscal and his clerk, who levied upon all documents passing through his hands, down to the portero, who had his recognized fee for serving a summons, everyone was entitled to charge for the services pertaining to his office. According to the Aranquel, or fee bill, issued in 1642, the secretaries were entitled to twenty reales for every grace issued, licenses to read prohibited books, commutations of penance, dispensations, and the hundred other matters in which the Suprema alone could grant favors. The Secretario de Camara, or private secretary of the Inquisitor-General, had a fee for every commission issued, on one for an inquisitor or fiscal he collected a hundred reales besides eight for his clerk on those for minor offices a doubloon and eight reales for his clerk and so on and these according to the aranquel of cardinal giudice were payable in silver burdensome as were these legalized fees the limitations of the aranquel were not enforced and complaints of imposition were constant. The members of the Suprema had not this source of income, but, as a rule, they held lucrative benefices with dispensation for non-residents. The Suprema could not be thus lavish in its expenditures without an assured and steady source of income. It no longer was dependent on what it could call from one tribunal or another for it had so persistently utilized its control over their funds as to accumulate for itself an amount of invested capital, the interest on which went far to meet its regular requirements, the deficiency being made up by contributions from the tribunals, especially those of the colonies. These latter had become very productive. Besides accumulating large capital for themselves, 
they were able to make heavy remittances to Spain. Mexico and Lima were expected to furnish regularly 10,000 ducats a year, and this was frequently exceeded. Even from Cartagena de las Indias, the Suprema received, in 1653 and 1654, more than 100,000 pesos. About 1675, we chance to hear of a remittance of 40,000 pesos, about 29,000 ducats, of which Lima furnished 10,000 and Mexico 30,000. An estimate of income and outlay of about the year 1635 shows that the Suprema held securities of various kinds, bringing in an annual return as follows. Assignments on the public revenues, 7,497,703 maravedis. In the hands of the Fucares, awaiting investment, 2,618,200 at 5%, 130,900. Censos, 2,210,625. Total, 9,939,228. Against this, its regular expenses were estimated at 13,350,275 which, with a sum of 1,353,625, that it had been ordered to pay to Cardinal Zapata, the late Inquisitor-General, left a deficit of 4,864,672, or 12,966 ducats. This it could have had no trouble in making up from the tribunals at home and in the colonies, besides such amounts as might still come in from confiscations. In the period of storm and stress, for some twelve years, commencing with 1640, the incessant demands of the king unquestionably caused the Suprema some trouble. Already in 1640 we find it borrowing considerable sums, but its resources were large, and, about 1657, a statement of its indebtedness amounts, reduced to silver, only to 14,500 ducats. Against this may be set a list of investments and sources of income, yielding a revenue of 18,500,000 maravedis, or 50,000 ducats, showing what power of accumulation it had possessed, in spite of the troublous times through which it had passed. All this was clear interest on investment securities, except 10,000 ducats from the colonial tribunals, about 2,000 ducats estimated to come in from confiscations, etc., and 200,000 maravedis from the Fabrica de Sevilla. This latter item merits a word of explanation. In 1626, the castle of Triana, occupied by the Seville Tribunal, was threatened with ruin by an inundation. In view of the heavy cost of repairs, in 1627, it was determined to meet this by imposing for three years, on every calificador appointed, a fee of ten ducats, on every commissioner and familiar, five, and on every notary, four. The three years passed away, 
but the charge was continued and in sixteen forty it was extended to a number of other minor positions both salaried and unsalaried the repairs had long been finished but the suprema coolly appropriated the income as part of its regular resources and kept it to the end in seventeen ninety the receipts from valencia amounted to twenty-seven and a half libras and an allusion to it in eighteen seventeen shows that the fabrica de sevilla was still collected about seventeen forty three philip v made an effort to reduce the excessive number of officials and expenses of the inquisition and some other departments but he was unable to withstand the conservative influences brought to bear it was probably in connection with this that an elaborate statement of the resources and expenditures of the suprema was prepared the work of the inquisition by this time had shrunk virtually to censorship of the press and punishing bigamists soliciting confessors blasphemers diviners wise women and incautious utterers of suspicious propositions but its machinery was as ponderous and costly as ever the payroll of the suprema counted forty names whose salaries and emoluments aggregated in round numbers sixty-four thousand ducats to which were added the expenses of the madrid tribunal dependent on the suprema and other estimated outlays amounting to twelve thousand making a total of seventy-six thousand ducats its annual revenue was stated at fifty-one thousand ducats leaving a deficit of twenty-five thousand how this was made does not appear possibly there was concealment in the statement of resources for the suprema does not seem to have curtailed its liberalities and a salary list of seventeen sixty four shows that there had been no change in the pay and emoluments except that the number of officials had increased to forty one the financial condition of the whole inquisition however was seriously compromised by royal orders from seventeen ninety four onward requiring investments to be sold and the proceeds to be placed in government securities to aid in defraying the costs of the wars in which spain became involved with france and then with portugal and england the virtual bankruptcy of the monarchy and the destruction consequent on the napoleonic wars naturally reduced it to the greatest straits the results of which will be seen when we come to investigate its finances as a whole considering the liberal salary and allowances which in the eighteenth century amounted to four thousand thirty ducats for each full member the labor was not heavy the council held daily sessions of three hours in the morning and on three days of the week tuesdays thursdays and saturdays a two hours session in the afternoon at which were present the two auxiliary members of the council of castile who received fourteen hundred ducats the pay of the inquisitor-general was nearly seven thousand ducats besides which he usually held a bishopric and the members some comfortable preferment the meetings of the council were originally held in the apartments of the inquisitor-general until the accession of philip the fourth when the house of the condemned favorite rodrigo calderon 
was purchased for it and became its permanent office. End of Book 4, Chapter 1, Part 4